This is Cashflow Ninja, episode 140, with Lane Kawaoka. Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast empowering and inspiring people to discover how to generate their own income and manage, grow, and protect their own wealth in the new economy. Now, here is your host, MC Laubscher. Hello everyone, MC Lobster here, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today, and in today's show, we're going to be looking at interesting strategies for your 1031 exchange and much, much more. My guest today is Lane Kawaoka. Lane is the host of the Simple Passive Cashflow Podcast, an avid real estate investor and a full-time W-2 employee as a civil engineer who got started very young with passive real estate investing. Lane owns over 11 single-family homes in Birmingham, Atlanta, Indianapolis, and Pennsylvania. As he slowly built his single-family home portfolio, Lane realized that single-family homes was not going to get him to his cash flow goals, and he was creating a job for himself to manage the manager. Today, Lane podcasts at simplepassivecashflow.com to help newbies get into real estate and helps more sophisticated investors get into larger multifamily home syndications that Lane puts together. Please share your feedback and thoughts with me on today's interview. You can let me know your thoughts on Twitter by tweeting me at MCLobsher or by email at info at cashflowninja.com. And please remember to join our mailing list by signing up at cashflowninja.com or texting cashflowninja one word, all capitalized to 44222. That's two fours and three twos. Have you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad? Are you interested in real estate investing and don't know where to start or how to get the results you want? For valuable information to get you started, visit JoinOps Properties at joinopsproperties.com. Globally, coffee is a $90 billion industry, and International Coffee Farms offers a sustainable income opportunity through offshore sustainable agriculture. You can own a parcel of your very own cash-flowing specialty coffee farm in Panama. Sustainable income through sustainable agriculture. For more information on this income opportunity, you can download your free report at cashflowninja.com forward slash Panama. I've spoken about the most powerful system on the planet, on the show, the banking system. And my firm, Valhalla Financial, helps people reclaim the banking function within their own lives through leveraging the tools and strategies of the wealthy. If you are interested in reclaiming the banking function within your own life and the infinite banking concept, you can email me at info at cashflowninja.com. Lane, welcome to the show. Hey, MC, how's it going? Can you please share a little bit about your background and your journey with my listeners? So I started investing in 2009 with a single-family home in Seattle. I'm a college graduate with a civil engineering, industrial engineering degree. I uh, went to work, worked for the man at a construction company where I traveled a lot, so I was able to save a lot of money. Saved for that down payment in a few years on that first primary residence. And then I realized that all my money was going to this, this home that I was never home to enjoy. So then I started renting it out. And then I was like, wow, like 
I, I think the home was about three hundred fifty thousand dollars. It was bringing in about twenty two hundred bucks, and then the mortgage was sixteen hundred bucks, and there was pretty big delta in there. And that's where I learned about cash flow. And then I started reading all the rich dad books and all these other books, millionaire real estate investor, and and I was drinking the Kool Aid on all this uh, passive real estate. Fantastic. Now, how did you decide on real estate? Because obviously you were traveling a little bit, you were working, you were researching and reading. And from our previous conversation, you've dabbled a little bit in the stock market as well. What made you decide to to focus on real estate? And what were some of the qualities of real estate that was attractive as opposed to uh, the qualities that you uh, found with stock trading? Yeah, so I graduated college in 2007 and then bought that home in 2009. And in that time, I thought for the longest time that stocks and mutual funds were the way, way to go because you read all the, you know, boggleheads and all these other personal finance sites and they all say get the index funds or the ETS were coming out at that time. And I thought I was a little smarter than the average person. Um, maybe because I, I've been doing, I had a Roth IRA since I was, probably about 12, 13. So I knew about this stuff. So it wasn't, it wasn't foreign to me. So, um, you know, first couple of years of working, there were a lot of corporate trainings and we'd be put into hotels out in the middle of nowhere. So I would study a lot about stocks and, and I did the whole fast money thing with, uh, watching all those shows on CNN and MSNBC and then, you know, Jim Cramer. And I got really into that for about a few months in the summertime. And you know, I, I, what I would do is I would trade three, four thousand dollars worth of stock each time because that's the thing about stocks. If you don't have that big base, it doesn't even make sense. Uh, you know, if you if you get a twenty percent pop, I mean, what do you do? You made two hundred bucks, and you just kind of wasted your time and spun your wheels. Uh, you know, time value of money. So what I was doing, I was probably making about three or four big trades. Um, I wasn't quite a day trader, but I wasn't buy and hold. I was more in between that swing trader where I'd buy and hold for about a, a day if I get a good gain and I'll sell right away or a week or two or even three. So I was, you know, getting into all the technical charts and then I was just got consumed by this, you know, I mean, I would be listening to the news and kind of hearing this or that, but then I realized that it, there was no system system to it i mean you know realize like there's all these experts or all these computers out there making trades like how can little me compete with these people and then the the one day that the kind of the, the tipping point for everything was i bought microsoft of all companies microsoft on uh the day before earnings when uh it's it's risky when you do that you know you don't know what they're going to announce and i quickly realized that stock prices and mutual funds are dictated on two things which is the what what is the interpretation of the street which you don't know and what the stock is actually doing in terms of internally in the company and you don't know so there's two variables you don't know so how the heck can you make an accurate stock pick so i i I backtracked and I knew real estate was a thing, but you know, it's just so hard to get into it. Um, but I just started, you know, I, I'm that accidental landlord who kind of saw the, the writing on the wall once it started to work. And that's what made me jump right in. 
a couple of interesting points you made. So the first thing is the pundits and the financial entertainers, as I call them. <laughs> and I think that's what people have to realize, that they are entertainers. And the messaging that I usually see and, and talk to my clients and a lot of the listeners on the show is – that they're saying to Mr. Public, Mr. Public, you don't know what you're doing. Give your money to us. We'll take care of it. And that's the index funds and the mutual funds and that kind of stuff. So I always, um, I always tell my listeners to just see exactly what they're telling you. Try to read through all of the, uh, the verbiage that they're spewing out and read between the lines. And between the lines, it's usually taking your money away from you think and by that you're empowering uh them with your money instead of empowering yourself so that's one thing that uh that i've definitely seen and and as you've mentioned that that was one thing that you saw as well and the other thing too that you were saying is about the uncontrollable variables and that's such a, such a good point in any investment i mean we have to limit and reduce the impact of uncontrollable and unknown variables. And you just mentioned two of them that uh, you really, <laughs> there's not a lot of ways to limit and reduce the, the impact that those two variables do play in the performance of the investments uh, that you're in and your overall strategy. Now, Lane, you uh, bought your first place. You said you, you kind of became an accidental landlord. Talk us a little bit through the process, uh, what happened after that, and how you started to scale up your real estate business. Yeah, so then I would go to the library because I'm cheap, and then I would you know, get all the books, and then the podcasts were a real help. You know, I just started devouring all these podcasts, and I saved up the money to buy a duplex in Seattle. This is probably about 2011. And right now the Seattle market and just like the, the national market was improving and it was on its way off by that point. And I was going to buy a third property, but then I realized that a lot of the properties where I was at didn't cash flow anymore. And I was like, well, what the heck, right? Like how is this the end of the road for me? You know, like from that, that $350,000 property was now four fifty, dollars bringing in the same amount of rents. And I was just doing the math and being a little more experienced, knowing how to underwrite properties. Um, I realized that this wasn't going to make any money. So why the heck did people still invest in all these Seattle properties or LA or San Francisco or Hawaii? And then I, re I you know, when you reach a spot, some people just stop. But, um, you know, I kept on charge on through just doing more research and I learned about cash flow investing. I, I heard all these other investors going to Midwest cities like Kansas City, Memphis, Kansas, um, Atlanta, Indianapolis, Birmingham, to name a few secondary markets with robust economies. And you know, these people are buying a hundred thousand dollar homes like rent for a thousand bucks and the cash flows work. And I was hooked. I mean then, you know, we all talk about appreciation is great, but at the end of the day, that's should be icing on top of the cake. I mean, we should be cash flow investing. And that's the name of your podcast. That's the name of my podcast, Simple Passive Cash Flow. And instead of my, my whole goal from the beginning was to quit the day job. And to do that, I need to build passive streams of income. So why wouldn't I go out and buy these $100,000 homes one at a time? to build passive streams of income, which I've done um, lately. Uh, 
but the con is obviously like you know these places like Birmingham, Atlanta, you know, Indianapolis. It's not as much appreciation in those in those parts of the world. Obviously, the cash flow makes up, and at the end of the day, you just have to do your math on your spreadsheet and do you know think for yourself and see where the numbers lie. But then I realized that most investors invest for appreciation, and that's just not the prudent way to go about doing it, in my opinion. Um, you know, when appreciation comes, it comes, but when it goes away, it's all gone, and you can't sell that thing at that time, and you're bleeding money every month to hold on to that asset. Uh, with cash flow investing, you have this home that's bringing them good cash flow. And even if the market does tank, like right now, the market's pretty high. If it goes down now, in theory, there's more renters that coming into your property to rent. And you don't really care how much it costs because you're not looking to sell. You're just looking to hold that thing for the income that it produced. And that's what it produced long-term wealth, I believe. No, absolutely, and that's what the wealthiest families in the world are doing um, all over the world and have done for, for a, very, a very, very long time. Laino, let's talk about, you mentioned the real estate market, and I know real estate markets are local, um, but what is your view on the real estate market currently in the United States and in, in North America, Canada? You guys are pretty close there. Um, what, what do you see out there? Yeah, so overall, I don't really see uh, local markets too much. I mean, I I help people get the turnkey stuff, um, you know, turnkey rentals for single families, and a lot of that's just an, on a national basis. I mean, you know, the local stuff is more you know you're buying in this one neighborhood of the city, and that requires time and energy. I mean, the stuff that we do, I mean, people that listen to my podcast are high net worth individuals, doctors, lawyers, engineers, and we don't have time to do like wholesaling and get into the nitty gritty. I mean, yeah, we pay retail price, but at the end of the day, real estate makes money four ways. And that's, you know, what's a lot, lot better than the stock market. But I, I'd, I'd say for people to, to go into cash flow investing markets is just a better way to go. And now you've mentioned cash flow, obviously, as the 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 most important thing in a deal. Do you have a checklist that you revert, revert to when you make investment decisions? Uh, talk a little bit about a checklist. Yeah, I mean, I think you've talked about this on another podcast, MC, but you, you, know, you talk about just seeing what other people are doing and just copy it. I mean, I've, I've started to do the same thing. I mean, life's too short to be trying to figure this stuff on your own. I mean, I just network with other investors when I first got started and see where they're investing. And they all seem to go to the same places. Again, secondary markets um, with robust economies. So for example, you know, these are the second tier cities that you hear about. These aren't the Los Angeles, Seattle, San Francisco. These are like the, um, these are like the Atlantas, the Kansas cities, the Memphises and robust economies. So like Detroit would not be in there. Know, traditionally, Detroit's a secondary market, but doesn't really have a robust economy. So you go to the same places. And what I tell people is, you know, there's probably only about eight markets that you want to be in. After that, you just have to figure out who you want to work with, because at the end of the day, it's more people that you you work with. Um, and that's going to you know help you guide you through the process and make sure you don't buy that blighted property or that lemon out there. But once you figure out a property, that's when you put in a purchase and sell contract and you just go through the due diligence period. 
I think people get it wrapped around in their head, you know, with residential real estate, you know, the primary residence that they, once they put a purchase and sale contract, that's the one they want. They're done. They're married. But in investment property buying, it's more, you know, the purchase and sale contract, just, just a, that's just the start. That's when you start dating and you start figuring out if that's the property you want. You want to figure out who, who's the tenant in there or what kind of tenant um, market it is. If, if the tenant's in there, you know, get going and, and interview them, figure out what the problem is with the property. Um, just overall from the financial side, a lot of my properties, they rent for a thousand bucks. So out of a thousand dollars, 10% goes to property management, 10% goes to repairs, another 10% or 15% goes to vacancy and a lot of the turnover. And then you put a little bit of money into the bank as capital expenditures. My portfolio has been pretty much running at a 30 to 35% expense ratio. So if I'm bringing in a thousand bucks, I know pretty dang good that I'm going to collect $700 of, you know, that's what I'm going to bring home. Of course, I have to bring in, I have to pay the PITI or the debt service after that. But usually on these properties, something, it'll be around 450 to $500 a month. So again, 1000 um, bucks minus all those expenses in the PITI is going to leave me about 200 bucks of cash flow at the end of the, at the end of the month and coming in every month. And that's just one way you make money. Of course, you make your money with the, the depreciation, the mortgage pay down that the tenants paying down your rent. And then of course, appreciation, but I, I don't really, I just underwrite everything so I get 0% appreciation. I don't really count on getting any appreciation in these markets too much. Now, as far as a very, very important component of being a real estate investor is obviously that team. And one of the most important, in my opinion, members of that team is a property manager. Now, this is an area where a lot of folks uh, implement shortcuts in finding one and uh, what advice would you give to people as the importance of a property manager and how do they go about finding uh, a good one? Because, <laughs> you know, they're, again, the 80-20 rule, right, as with all, but um, there are horror stories with property managers because folks have taken shortcuts. Right. So the horror stories of these uh, property management companies is to be a property manager, you need to have a real estate license. And uh, you know, most people they'll go to, they need, you know, they need one of these guys and they'll go to the big brokerage houses like a Widemere, uh, Keller Williams, uh, Century 21 for property management. But then think you're like, you're getting like the dude who can't sell a house. He's going to be the property manager. You don't want that guy to being your goon who's going to go over there and try and enforce the rules of the house. I mean, that's, that's just a recipe for disaster. And that's why you hear all these horror stories. What you want to go to, just like anything in real estate, is going only off of referrals and what have people, other sophisticated investors are doing. And I have a secret Facebook page and we, we kind of keep in contact a lot with, uh, you know, the people, other investors in different markets and, hey man, who, who are you using? You know, who are you using in Birmingham? Oh yeah, you know, I've been having trouble. We're switching over to these guys. You should try it too. You know, it's, it's a lot of, uh, you know, this micro community, you know, we flock to different property managers. Another way of doing it is if you, you know, like how I did it initially was I just called around to all these property management companies. If you're one of these engineers uh, who, who kind of gets in nitty gritty, I mean, you can hire one of my VAs that I use and 
um, I can give you a contact for that. Uh, and then go and have them script every single property management company ask, and then get them on the phone or email and figure out if they do multifamily or if they do single family. And then just start calling them with your uh, question list, which I got on my website, you know, a few, uh, about a dozen questions that I asked every property management company um, and then start interviewing. But again, you know, people can answer interview questions well because it's always the same questions. Um, or you can go off referrals, which I, that's what I prefer to do. Referrals are, are very, very strong because uh, to your point, you know, people can, people can answer questions really well, right? It's like, it's like the first date you go on. <laughs> everybody right. took a shower. Everybody combed their hair. Everybody put on some, uh, you know, cologne or perfume and everybody's dressed up really nice. So, but it's what happened after that. So that's usually a pretty good, uh, uh, a good way of finding that. Now, Lane, you've put out some really good information about a 1031 exchange and have shared some fantastic strategies uh, and different strategies around the 1031 exchange. Can you explain to some of my listeners that are not quite familiar with a 1031 exchange what it is and share a little bit of these uh, powerful strategies that you have around this 1031 exchange? Yeah, so one of the cool things with rental real estate is you can take you can depreciate the value of the home. You can take uh, I think it's one twenty seventh of the value of the home, um, not not the improvements, but just uh, just improvements, not the land value, and you can take that off your taxable income every year. And then this, when you sell one of these properties, like for example, just kind of use myself as a story. I had one of my properties in Seattle that I bought for three fifty, like I mentioned. It sold for four fifty. I made about a hundred thousand dollars of gain. Normally, with it being a business, I would have had to pay those taxes. So a hundred thousand bucks at like twenty five percent would have been a tax bill of twenty five grand, which is not cool. So you can use this. 1031 exchange, which is uh, the IRS allows you to, as long as you follow all these rules, which we'll kind of get into, you can shelter that $100,000 gain and not pay taxes and delay it into the future. So what I did was I sold that Seattle property, took my gains, and I parlayed it into um, a whole bunch of other properties. I think I, I did this uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, traded in two of my Seattle properties and I bought nine of these turnkey rentals. And it was pretty crazy because the, the, I mean, we mentioned the benefits of the 1031, but the negative is you have to play by all these rules. So the, and these change a little bit each year and you have to get a lawyer who specializes in this. You can't just do it yourself. I mean, maybe you could, but it's just not something do you want to risk 25, 50 grand if you screw it up. But what you, they give you a certain amount of time. I believe it's uh, 180 days to make complete all these transactions. Because what they want you, they, they're trying to enforce you into putting your assets in from something now into something else because you're, they're incentivizing you to step up to bigger businesses. I mean, this is America. They want you to do that. So you have this 180 days uh, time constraint. But another constraint is this 45-day rule where you have to, ident- once you close on your first property, so after I closed on that first Seattle property, I had 45 days to identify a list. 
of other potential properties that I would pick up. So at the end of that 45 days, I had this list of a dozen properties and you can't, there's all these rules and nuances where you can't put every single property under the sun. You know, you can only take about 200% of the values um, or there's all these other rules. Again, this is where the tech that, that 1031 uh, lawyer expert comes in. He's going to advise you how to do this. But the problem with this list is now you're handcuffed to those properties. So if somebody came in and bought that property, well, you got one less property you can potentially close on on your list. And then let's just say, you know, you do the due diligence on the property and something you don't like and you drop it off. Now you're there's one less property on that list. And because a lot of these properties you know, there's turnover and they get bought and sold, you know, after, at the end of the, you can lock it in at 45 days, but the end, the end of the, you know, a few months go by, your list might be pretty exhausted and you may not have any options. And if you don't have any options, now you're stuck to close certain properties. So I had a lot of problems, you know, getting to the end of it, trying to pull off this, uh, this huge feat. Um, some of the sellers knew I was in trouble. To be honest, I lost a lot of negotiating power for short of it. You're listening to Lane Kawoka on the Cashflow Ninja podcast. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. International Coffee Farms is a real estate-based specialty coffee farm ownership opportunity. You can own deeded, half-acre parcels in title, already operating specialty coffee farms in Bogete, Panama. They are turnkey managed professionally on your behalf by a team of local experts with sustainable average income of 12% and with cash flow beginning in 12 to 15 months from the date of your parcel ownership. International Coffee Farms' mission is to own and operate specialty coffee farms in Bogete, Panama that are economically, environmentally, and socially sustainable. As part of this mission, 20% of the gross profits of each farm goes towards a socially sustainable fund to improve the lives of the coffee farm workers and their families. International Coffee Farms currently owns and operates eight specialty coffee farms in Bogete, Panama, with parcels available for immediate ownership. To find out how you can become a parcel owner, you can download your free income opportunity report at cashflowninja.com forward slash Panama. You're listening to Lane Kawoka on the Cashflow Ninja podcast and now back to our interview. What is one way to uh, kind of uh, not to hide the fact that you're that you that you are in this situation, but what advice would you give people to not completely show your hand of cards in negotiating? Because you said that it did put you in in a in a less favorable situation while you were negotiating the deals for the exchange. Don't tell anybody what you're doing. But again, the the bad side is now your broker doesn't really know that you're desperate for properties and you're going to, you're serious about picking all these up. So it can go both ways. I would say that when you're doing this 1031, it's all about planning. So, but when that 45 day period ends, that's the key. That's when you have to, you know, reach out to everybody in your network and say, Hey, I'm building this list. I need to see what else is in the pipeline, not what's on the market now. But what are you guys working on that's going to be ready in two, three weeks that nobody else has seen, but I can take that address and I can put it on my list. I think that's a big key. What are some of the other strategies that you've shared around this concept that people can use uh, and put in their war chest of strategies? Some simple things is just being very, uh, you know, using Dropbox, just getting really organized, 
getting your team involved, like your lender, especially, and let them know what's happening. Cause they're going to have to do the simultaneous closings on a lot of these. I mean, I did two 1031s simultaneously and it got really, really crazy. Um, the 1031 lawyer, they got confused. Um, it, it probably just better to do one of these. <laughs> I probably shouldn't have had two going on at the same time because they probably hurt the, you know, one, one probably took away product from the other that was on the, you know, the other 45 day list took product away from the other 45 day list. But um, it's just being really organized and to know, to understand that the reason you're going into the next investment is that it's bigger and better and that you're, equity your return on equity in your first property is low and that's something i talk about a lot you know we all talk about buying and holding and holding forever well i, I complete i think that's complete garbage because when i buy properties i'm making 30 percent or so in the first year but as you get more and more equity your returns go down because i look at it from a return on equity standpoint so if it, if you're making, you know, if you got a whole bunch of equity, whoop de do, but then you're like, you probably making about single digits in terms of return on equity. And for that much risk and headache, you probably better off being in a savings bond or something like that. So on the big side, just remembering why you're doing this and it, life's not going to be perfect. And which is sort of the reason why I'm not too big of a fan of 1031 exchanges today. I mean, from my standpoint, I'd rather just sell the property and eat the gangs and putting into a syndication or a much cleaner, scalable investment. One of the things that you said, I just want to reiterate that you pointed on the return of equity. You're always looking at your return of equity. And that is what major corporations and big businesses do as well. They look at their cost of capital, money that's sitting there. Apple looks at these you know, all this money that they have, they look at what it, what's my return on that? What is it just, you know, is it just sitting there? And we have to think the same way as investors to truly find a way uh, to leverage our existing assets and our resources, which would be the equity in that, and also monitor what it's doing for us um, and try and put it to work in different places. Yeah, and that's the big uh, differentiator between sophisticated investors and non-sophisticated landlords who just kind of been doing this and haphazardly without the internet and networking with what other people are doing. And when I first started doing this, I, you know, I'd go to the networking events and, you know, you get this 45, 65 year old who's been doing this a long time and they're, you know, they're all, they think they're all hot stuff. And then, you know, I asked them like, well, what's, you know, what's your return on equity, right? Because you got a lot of, you know, they own, they pretty much own that rental outright and they don't understand this stuff. And they're like, oh, you guys, you engineers, you guys are all about the numbers. And I'm like, well, like, well, what, what, what the heck are we doing this, right? We're here to make money. And there's no other way of doing this than to look at the numbers. <laughs> no, but, absolutely. Yeah. But what am I? I'm, I'm just some kid, right? I mean. But then again, like these, that's why these guys are doing this. That's why you're 50 years old and still doing rental real estate. If you do it the right way, the sophisticated way who monitors your return on equity and re-leverages it when it gets, you know, in the low teens. I mean, there's really no reason why you should be in the game for much more than five to 10 years. I mean, you should retire 
you should be going to networking events for real estate. The other thing, Lane, like what I like about your story is you started, you know, you started small, you um, invested into uh, single family properties, you build experience, you did 1031 exchanges, you learned all of your lessons on a smaller scale. I think uh, some, sometimes, uh, you know, in the United States, especially, we think big, right? We, we think, you know, a, a lot of people look at investing and, and entrepreneurship as someone that just basically quit their job and they, they're off to become Richard Branson. But what they, what they, what they have to understand is you can st start small. You can build your experience, your confidence, learn your lessons on a couple of smaller deals, gain the experience, and then take a leap into the next avenue. What is next on the horizon for you, and what are you currently working on? Yeah, so once I got my uh, you know, 10 single-family homes, I got a few thousand a passive a month, you know, I... I, I I thought, you know, hey, let's just keep doing this this path and get single family homes. But then I realized how much trouble is to get ten single, you know, how much it is just operate and manage the man property managers. And it's not that much work, but like, I mean, I just look at, you know, what are my goals? I mean, if I want ten thousand dollars of passive income, I'm gonna need thirty of these houses. And the the groups I was running in, they just didn't see it. And then I started the you know, actually pay some money to go to some networking events, different, more higher level investors. And all of them have done the same thing. And they, all of them are doing apartment complexes and bigger syndications. And then I saw, then I saw the light and I was like, we need to stop doing these single family homes at some point and get into more scalable investing practices like syndications. And what skill sets are you currently learning? Because the one habit I've observed from wealthy and successful people is they're always studying new subjects and learning new skill sets. So what are you learning and what skill sets are you trying to improve upon or add? So with syndications, you know, these are all private placements and, you know, direct investments where you have to know the guy who is doing it and you have to figure out, who is the faker and who is the actually guy who has done it before and with the track record and experience. Cause like, you know, like you said that uh, us Americans, like, I mean, there's so many syndicators doing these big strip malls or this kind of apartment investing and they just don't have the track record. They've never, they've never done anything in real estate. I mean, I'm trying to, I'm just a student of it. I'm, you know, I've done, you know, the single families homes up to this point and I kind of understand how the tenant mentality and how to operate things, but I'm kind of just learning the whole apartment investing uh, world. But there's so many people that just jump into it and they put on a nice shirt and suit and they go out and raise money for these deals. And that's where people get into trouble. Um, a lot of, you know, with the, when the market's good, it floats all boats, but you know, when things go bad, you figure out that these, these operators, you know, for one, they didn't have any money in the game. I mean, every deal that I do, I'm going to put at least twenty five dollars to $50,000 of my own cash into it for my investors to see. And our core message in our show is to leave our families, communities, and the world better than we found it by passing down a mindset, values, and principles to future generations, not just money. So if you cannot pass on any money to future generations, and we're only allowed to pass on three principles to them to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be? Well, I wouldn't, right now, I probably wouldn't leave any money. I'd probably do some kind of chair domain to trust. That's the way I think right now. But I think the successful people, they have a few things in common. First, they, they, 
they realize what they're good at. You know, I talk, people come in to me and we're trying to quickly realize like, what do you have to work with? Are you a high, you know, you're a lawyer or are you just uh, some guy working at Starbucks? The three resources that we have are time, money, and knowledge. You need to figure out what you have and try to get what you don't have or just work with and make, tailor your strategy to that. And then after that, it's just hard work and perseverance. I mean, some people get to a point, they don't know how to do a 1031 and just sit there and go watch Netflix. But some people Google it and figure it out. I mean, it's 2017. If you can't, if you don't know something and you can't Google it, you're in trouble, my friend. So I think those two things is just something to keep in mind. And then the third thing is the networking. If you can't, if you can't get around people and make these ideas happen and put your hard work to good use, then it was all for nothing. So those are three big things that I think people should try and self-evaluate and see what they need to improve on. Cause those are the things that what I see separate the people that, um, you know, the successful people I'm seeing today and the people who have kind of dropped by the wayside. Now, like you've been around successful people and have had mentors in your life. What are some of the best advice that you've gotten on your journey? You know, people say get a mentor, but I, I haven't really had a, a official mentor. I've had a lot of, you know, unofficial mentors. And I also think that, you know, if you don't know anything, like really what value are you adding? You're just taking this person's time away. And, and to them, that's the most important resource. So it's really a detriment to you even, you know, them even having to read your email in some respect, unless you're adding value. So that's, I mean, that's the, what I've seen is, you know, just go around, talk to people, get little tidbits of information here and there and start to build your story. Cause everyone's story is a little unique. Um, the other thing is informal mentors or unconscious mentors. Like what are the books you're reading? What are the podcasts you're, you're bringing in? Are you just listening to the radio on your way to work or you're listening to podcasts and what kind of podcasts are you listening to? That's a big thing. I mean, you can be listening to this American life and just be learning about nothing or you can dial in and learn, learn about cash flow investing on other podcasts. So just being conscious of what you're taking in. Lane, how can my audience learn more about you, your podcast, and stay informed of all of the projects that you're involved with? Yeah, so I uh, I write a podcast, I, I write a blog, and I do a podcast called The Simple Passive Cashflow. Um, again, I just talk about my stories, investing, the people I come across. Uh, I am starting a, I call it the Hui Deal Pipeline Club. Um, a lot of people have come to me and say, well, this is all cool, but like, where's deals, right? Like, so I've started a, a little mailing list with the Google Drive access to a lot of uh, different deals I've been running, run into some private money, some uh, partnerships, uh, all kinds of stuff. Um, hopefully people can grow with me as I, you know, go into bigger and better deals. Uh, and then I got a lot of spreadsheets that I use, deal analysis tools that people can have. And yeah, just uh, shoot me an email, Lane at Simple Passive Cashflow. And yeah, let's connect. Fantastic, Lane. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your, your journey and your knowledge and providing so much value for my listeners. All right. Thanks, MC. I appreciate it. Hi, this is MC Lobsher, the host of the Cashflow Ninja podcast. As you may know, I'm also the president and chief wealth strategist of Valhalla Wealth Financial. We help individuals, families, small businesses, entrepreneurs, and professionals build their wealth outside of Wall Street 
and help investors maximize the use of every dollar in their personal economy and boost their investment gains. We do this by combining their capital and investments with the financial vehicle of the wealthy, according to the infinite banking concept. If you are interested in learning more, you can email me at info at cashflowninja.com and I will send you a copy of Nelson Nash's book, Becoming Your Own Banker. Thank you for joining my guest, Lane Kawaoka, and myself on the Cashflow Ninja today. If you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here at the Cashflow Ninja, please subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes, and share our show with family, friends, and your network. I'm always trying to learn and improve in every area of my life, so if there's any way that I can provide more value to you and serve you better, please reach out to me at info at cashflowninja.com. Jimmy Freeland and Bob Scott have been in your shoes and have used real estate investing to become financially free. They've designed a system to take any beginner to an experienced deal-making investor in the least amount of time. They offer opportunities from basic education, coaching, bridge loan investing to turnkey investments in the cash-flowing market of St. Louis, Missouri. For more information, please visit joinupsproperties.com or call Jimmy and Bob at 314 799 2247. Coffee is a proven product in a $90 billion industry worldwide. Through international coffee farms, you have a chance to own and operate your own half-acre parcels in a specialty coffee farm in Panama, professionally turnkey managed for you. You can download your coffee farm ownership opportunity report at cashflowninja.com forward slash Panama. That's our show for today, everyone. Until next time, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms. You have been listening to the Cashflow Ninja with your host, MC Laubscher, the podcast empowering and inspiring people to discover how to generate their own income and manage, grow, and protect their own wealth in the new economy. Today's show notes and resources are available on our website, CashflowNinja.com. This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objective, situation, and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.